In his book, Joseph, A Man of Integrity and Forgiveness, Chuck Swindoll mentions a television film uh, from years ago called The Promise. He said, this film told the story of a young man and woman who almost on the eve of their wedding were involved in a terrible auto accident, which both of them were seriously injured, and the wife's face was horribly disfigured. And while these two were recovering in the hospital, they were in separate rooms, the young man's mother visited her soon-to-be daughter-in-law. And this cruel woman had really never wanted her son to marry this young woman in the first place. And she now saw a way to prevent their marriage from ever taking place. She told the badly injured young woman that she would secretly pay for all the plastic surgery involved to restore her face if the young woman promised to disappear and never again have anything to do with her son. This young woman who was suffering and bewildered and in the midst of trauma and agony, uh, she's disfigured, she's confused, she made that promise. And shortly after that, this mother told her son that his fiancée had been killed in that accident. Several years later, through an unusual chain of events, the young man and woman met. And of course, this young man had not changed all that greatly, and so she immediately recognized him. And she attempted to keep her promise that she had made so long ago to have nothing to do with him, but gradually, as circumstances kept bringing them back together, he began to recognize her. He realized that the woman he had loved so deeply a love that still haunted him, he realized that very same woman was there and she was indeed alive. And eventually, they were reunited in a romantic scene of reconciliation. Years of separation followed by a beautiful moment of discovery and reconciliation. And today in our study of the book of jo- or in the book of Genesis and the life of Joseph, We're going to see what we've been longing to see for so long. Before we're through this morning, we're going to see 12 brothers together again. And this time, all of them will recognize that fact. When we left them last week, we understand and knew that they were dining with Joseph. They thought they were just dining at the house of the prime minister. But they were indeed dining with their brother. And Joseph, last week, if you remember, if you're with us, He tested them concerning jealousy. And these brothers had passed the test. And that same resentment and hatred and hostility they felt for him years ago had not been transferred to his younger brother, Benjamin. One test was down. They had passed that test. But another test was coming. And I want to talk to you today for just a few minutes about that test. And I want to talk to you today about a silver cup, a sincere request, And a startling revelation. Open your Bibles, if you haven't already, to the book of Genesis. And find the 44th chapter. Genesis chapter 44. And I want to talk to you first today about a silver cup. And we want to talk about the very first uh, 17 verses of Genesis 44. As we think about the silver cup. And I want you to notice we'll begin reading in Genesis chapter 44 with verse 1. The Bible says in Genesis 44, 1, and he, that is Joseph... Commanded the steward of his house, saying, 
Fill the men's sacks with food, as much as they can carry. And put every man's money in his sack's mouth. And put my cup, the silver cup, in the sack's mouth of the youngest and his corn money. And he did according to the word that Joseph had spoken. As soon as the morning was light, the men were sent away, they and their asses. I want you to notice the brothers are sent away. Probably while the brothers are sleeping, Joseph gives these instructions to his butler, to the steward of his house. Fill their sacks with corn, plenty of food. Return their money again and make sure you take my silver cup. You know the one I'm talking about. My silver cup and place it in the youngest one's sack, the the brother's sack, Benjamin's sack. Now, I imagine when those brothers awoke that next morning, the sun was shining brighter than it had in a long time. They had moved from fear to favor. They had plenty of food. They had wined and dined with the second most powerful man in all the world. Their future looked bright. They probably couldn't wait to hit the highway to get back to their father, to get back to their families, their wives, their children. In fact, it says they started out as soon as it was light, as soon as the morning was light. The brothers are sent away, but I want you to notice, secondly, the brothers are accused. Look at verse 4. And when they were gone out of the city and not yet far off, Joseph said unto his steward, Up, follow after the men. And when thou dost overtake them, say unto them, Wherefore have you rewarded evil for good? Is not this it in which my Lord drinketh, and whereby indeed he divineth? Ye have done evil in so doing. And he overtook them, and he spake unto them these same words. And they said unto him, Wherefore saith my Lord these words? God forbid that thy servants should do according to this thing. Behold the money which we found in our sacks' mouths, we brought again unto thee out of the land of Canaan. How then should we steal out of thy Lord's house silver or gold? With whomsoever, notice what the brothers say, verse 9, with whomsoever of thy servants it be found, both let him die, and we also will be my Lord's bondmen, or slaves, or servants. And he said, now also let it be according to your words. He with whom it is found shall be my servant, and ye shall be blameless. Then they speedily took down every man his sack to the ground, and opened every man his sack. And he searched and began at the eldest, and left at the youngest, and the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. They finally get on their way that day. and They're just outside the city. They're just about ready to hit cruise control on their camel, their donkey, or the donkey. And they hear a siren behind them and look in the rearview mirror with dread and realize they see the police catching up fast. Actually, it's Joseph Stewart. It's his servant. And they're thinking in their minds, what in the world could he want? And he has the audacity to charge them with stealing. And to top it off, he doesn't just charge them with stealing towels and washcloths. He says, you went for the good stuff. You went for the silver cup, Joseph's silver cup, his drinking cup, his divining cup. Let me say here, I don't believe for one second that Joseph practiced divination as many did in that time with this cup. Many people did do that, but I don't believe Joseph did. I believe this was just part of the plan to help them to understand, to disguise him that he was appearing more Egyptian than he was. But Jacob's boys are being accused of stealing. They're incredulous. How dare you accuse us of theft? We brought back the money we found the first time. How dare you say we have stolen? They were so confident, verse 9 says, that they said, with whomever it is found, if you find it, it says, let him die and we'll be your slaves. In fact, they're so innocent in their own minds and hearts And they were. Look at what happens there. It says in verse 11, they speedily took down every man his sack to the ground and opened every man his sack. They had nothing to hide. 
And it's interesting. The steward here says, hey, we're not going to put that person to death and take you as slaves. Here's what we're going to do. With whomever I find this silver cup, he will be my servant. The rest of you will go free. So they take down their sacks. They begin to search through there. And what do we find? We find as we keep reading there, uh, verse number 12, and he searched and began at the eldest, and he left at the youngest, and the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. Poor Benjamin. You know, in all reality, verse 12 is where this test really begins. How will they treat Benjamin? Will they desert him or will they defend him? Will they throw in their lots with him or will they gladly throw him out? Would they send him off into slavery as they had done to Joseph long ago or would they stick with him? We said last week's test was all about jealousy. We could say this week's test is all about loyalty. Will they be loyal to their little brother? Will they be loyal to Benjamin? Will they stick with him? Will they defend him or will they desert him? We see the brothers are sent away. The brothers are accused. Notice thirdly this morning, the brothers are desperate. Verse 13, then they rent their clothes. That means they tore their clothes and laid it every man his donkey, his ass, and returned to the city. And Judah and his brethren came to Joseph's house, for he was yet there. And they fell before him on the ground. And Joseph said unto them, what deed is this that ye have done? What ye not that such a man as I can certainly divine. And Judah said, what shall we say unto my Lord? What shall we speak or how shall we clear ourselves? God hath found out the iniquity of thy servants. Behold, we are my Lord's servants, both we and he also with whom the cup is found. Talk about one of those days. They tear their clothes. Man, the sun was shining so bright. Everything was right in the world. And then all of a sudden, everything turns dark. And they go back and Joseph is there and he keeps up his charades. And I want you to be assured today, he was watching their every move. He was listening very gently to every word they spoke. How will they treat Benjamin? How will they respond to Benjamin? Will they stand up for Benjamin? And in fact, Joseph gives them an out himself. He says in verse 17, God forbid that I should do so, but the man in whose hand the cup is found, he shall be my servant. And as for you, get you up in peace unto your father. We already saw that opportunity given to him once by the steward. We'll take Benjamin. You guys can go. No, we're all going back. Joseph says, hey, I'll take Benjamin. Keep him. You guys go. They said, no, and we'll see more about that in just a moment. They're desperate. And what's really interesting here, beloved, is to see how these boys have changed. It's interesting. Judah acknowledges their guilt in verse 16. In verse 16, Judah brings God into the equation. He brings God into focus. He says, God has found out the iniquity of thy servants. God has found out the iniquity. He brings God into focus here. He realizes again afresh and anew. He's reminded again they're guilty concerning Joseph, what they'd done so many years ago. We think about the silver cup, and I want to think about a sincere request, beginning there at verse 18. Let me say before we read this, beloved, the beauty of this intercession by Judah, it's so wonderful, it's so beautiful, you really hesitate to comment on it. You want to just let it stand alone. And we're going to read it in its entirety, and we'll make just a very few comments. I want you to be impacted by what Judah says here. Some eloquent words, beautiful words as he intercedes. Look at verse 18. A sincere request. 
Then Judah came near unto him and said, O my Lord, let thy servant, I pray thee, speak a word in my Lord's ears. And let not thine anger burn against thy servant, for thou art even as Pharaoh. My Lord asked his servants, saying, Have you a father or a brother? We said unto my Lord, We have a father, an old man, and a child of his old age, a little one. And his brother is dead, and he alone is left of his mother, and his father loveth him. And thou saidest unto thy servants, Bring him down unto me, that I may set mine eyes upon him. And we said unto my Lord, The lad cannot leave his father, for if he should leave his father, his father would die. And thou saidest unto thy servants, Except your youngest brother come down with you, you shall see my face no more. And it came to pass when we uh, came up to thy, fa- thy servant, my father, we told him the words of my Lord. And our father said, Go again and buy us a little food. And we said, We cannot go down, for our younger, youngest brother be with us. Then will we go down, for we may not see the man's face, except our youngest brother be with us. And thy servant, my father, said unto us, Ye know that my wife bare me two sons. And the one went out from me, and I said, Surely he is torn in pieces, and I saw him not since. And if he take this also from me, and mischief befall him, he shall bring down my gray hairs of sorrow to the grave. Now therefore, when I come to thy servant, my father, and the lad be not with us, seeing that his life is bound up in the lad's life, it shall come to pass, when he seeth that the lad is not with us, he will die. And thy servant shall bring down the gray hairs of thy servant, our father, with sorrow to the grave. For thy servant became surety for the lad unto my father, saying, If I bring him not unto thee, then I shall bear the blame to my father forever. Now, therefore, verse 33, I pray thee, let thy servant abide instead of the lad a bondman to my Lord, and let the lad go up with his brethren. For how shall I go up to my father, and the lad be not with me, lest peradventure I see the evil that shall come on my father? This is an impassioned intercession. It's marked by several things. It's marked by humility. It's marked by honesty. It's marked by sincerity. It's marked by selflessness. And it's marked by sacrifice. Judah says, in essence, let me take his place. Let him go free. Let me be your servant. Let me be your bondman. Let me be your slave. He cared about his brother Benjamin. He cared about his father. And I want you to notice something, beloved. These are not the same men that sold their brother into slavery so long ago. Yes, they're the same individuals. But they're not like they used to be. Now, I want to be honest with you. How Joseph was able to keep it together through this impassioned intercession, I don't know. But I want you to say this today. The brothers had passed the test of loyalty with flying colors. A silver cup. A sincere request. But finally this morning, a startling revelation beginning in verse 45. And I want you to notice something here, beloved. This is a moment that we have waited for. Alastair begs, mentions, this is one of those moments when time stands still. He said the clock stops and the action freezes. We know that as a result of what we're experiencing, things will never be the same again. And I want you to notice here under this startling revelation, Joseph's confession. Verse number one. Then Joseph could not refrain himself before all them that stood by him. And he cried, cause every man to go out from me. And there stood no man with him while Joseph made himself known unto his brethren. This was a family moment. A family moment. It was not for strangers. 
It was not for friends. It was not for other people. It was a family moment. Verse 2 says, He wept aloud. In fact, beloved, He wept so loud the Egyptians and the house of Pharaoh heard. They could hear His weeping. Overcome with emotion. And I want you to notice what He says in verse 3. And Joseph said unto his brethren, I am Joseph. I am Joseph. Now remember, he's not speaking through an interpreter here. He says to them in their own language. He says to them in Hebrew, these 11 men looking at him, he says, I am Joseph. Wouldn't you love to have been a fly on the wall in that place that day? His confession, notice his concern. He says next in verse 3, Doth my father yet live? Joseph wanted to know about his father. Now sure, he had already asked, Is Jacob okay? Is he still alive? They said, yeah, he's good. He's okay. But that was news that was shared with a powerful, unknown Egyptian ruler. This is now a brother. This is now a son who really wanted to know, How is dad doing? How is he? But I want you to notice not only his confession, his concern, notice his compassion. Verse 3 again. And his brethren could not answer him, for they were troubled at his presence. They were troubled at his presence. Understandably so. The brothers were speechless. I imagine they were pale. Man, they were just in shock, sweating. The Bible says they were troubled. That word means, according to Strong, to tremble inwardly or palpitate, alarmed or agitated, to make affrighted, afraid, amazed, dismayed. Your heart is just beating out of your chest. You're just in shock and dismay because standing before you is the very brother you sold into slavery years ago. It was probably so quiet in there you could hear their hearts beating. But I want you to notice Joseph's compassion, his gentleness, his warmth, his his love, the way he cared for them. He said, I and he said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold unto, into Egypt. Uh, back at verse four. And Joseph said unto his brethren, come near to me, I pray you. And they came near and he said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. Now, therefore, be not grieved, nor angry with yourselves that you sold me hither. For God did send me before you to preserve life. For these two years hath the famine been in the land. And yet there are five years in which there shall be neither earring nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve you a posterity in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So now it was not you that sent me hither, but God. And he hath made me a father to Pharaoh and a lord of all his house and a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. Understandably so, they are speechless. They're scared to death. It's quiet. Their hearts are pounding. But Joseph is so compassionate. He says, hey, basically this, I forgive you. I've forgiven you. Verse 5 says, therefore, be not grieved nor angry with yourselves. Verse 8 says, it was not you that sent me hither, but God. I forgive you. I've forgiven you. In other words, he had them focus on God and his sovereignty. Look back at verse 5 again. God did send me before you to preserve life. Look at verse 7. God sent me before you to preserve you a posterity in the earth. Look at verse 8. It was not you that sent me hither, but God. He had them focus on God and his sovereignty. We look at Joseph here, we see no animosity, we see no hatred, we see no revenge, we see no anger. We see that he completely trusted God. 
Joseph realized that God's hand was in all of this. He was not eating up with bitterness. He was not eating up with malice. He was able to rejoice in God and His goodness and His graciousness, realizing that God had sent him before to preserve life. Notice this, beloved. Mark this down. Joseph had a right attitude. Swindoll says it takes God to make the heart right. When I have a wrong attitude, I look at life humanly. When I have a right attitude, I look at life divinely. That's the beauty of Joseph's life. That's the kernel of truth his life represents. He was great mainly because of his attitude. He said there are three specific lessons that grow out of this single truth. When I'm able by faith to see God's plan in my location, my attitude will be right. Let me say that again. When I'm able by faith to see God's plan in my location, my attitude will be right. He said, when I'm able by faith to sense God's hand in my situation, my situation, my attitude will be right. And he said, finally, when I'm able by faith to accept both location and situation as good, even when there's been evil in the process, my attitude will be right. We're reminded again, beloved, of that great truth that Joseph's life shows us. Romans 8, 28, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Many years ago, many years ago, these very same brothers had sought to snuff out Joseph's God-given dreams. But all God did was overrule their evil to bring about his glory and their good. Joseph had passed his test. The brothers have passed their test. They're reunited and reconciled in Egypt. You see, God worked in Joseph's life and God worked in their lives. And of course, the story is not complete here. There's still a matter of the reuniting of Joseph with his beloved father, Jacob. And we'll see that as we continue our study and we'll do that another time. But in our final few moments this morning, I wanted you to focus on something with me. And you may have missed it as we read it hurriedly today. Go back to chapter 45, verse 4. And I want you to notice these words. 45, verse 4. And Joseph said unto his brethren, Come near to me, I pray you. Come near to me, I pray you. These words are from Joseph. He said them to the brothers. The very same brothers that many years ago had sold him to slavery. All except Benjamin, who was not involved in that. He said these words to those brothers who had laughed at him, who had mistreated him, who had despised him, who had certainly rejected him. Joseph had the power, beloved, in his position to exercise judgment and revenge upon these ten brothers. The very words of his mouth would have been enough to have them executed at once. But instead he opens his mouth and says these words, Come near to me, I pray thee. Come near to thee, I pray thee. You know what? I cannot look at Joseph here without seeing the one whom he is merely a picture or a type of. And I'm speaking, of course, about the Lord Jesus Christ. We as sinners despised him. We as sinners mocked him. We rejected him. We mistreated him. But he said to us this word, come, come. In fact, he said, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Jesus says to you and I this morning, come. 
to the one who's mistreated and rejected him all through these many years. He says to you today, come. I cannot help but look at Judah in this passage and think of Jesus. Why? Because Judah stands and he says, let me take Benjamin's place. Let me be a substitute. Let me stand in his place. And I think about this, beloved. Jesus Christ took our place. Jesus Christ took our punishment. Jesus Christ laid down His life on the cross for you and for I. He was our substitute. He died sacrificially for you and for I. He became our substitute. He said, let me take His place. Let me take her place. And Jesus, beloved, says to you today, come, come, come. Think of the old song, without Him, I could do nothing. Without Him, I'd surely fail. Without Him, I would be drifting like a ship without a sail. Without Him, I would be dying. Without Him, I'd be enslaved. Without Him, life would be worthless. But with Jesus, thank God, I'm saved. Jesus, oh Jesus, do you know Him today? Please don't turn Him away. Oh Jesus, my Jesus, without Him, how lost I would be. I want to ask today, friend, in closing, do you know Him? Do you know Him? Is He your Lord and Savior? Has there been a time in your life you recognized and realized God working in your life and you realized, I'm a sinner, I'm undone, I'm lost, I'm destined for hell. But Jesus died in my place. Jesus took my place. And He says with His arms wide open, Come. Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I'll give you forgiveness of sin. I'll give you eternal life. I'll give you a home in heaven. I'll give you myself. Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come near me, I pray you. Come near me, I pray. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. We're done. But I'm wondering today, is God the Holy Spirit working on your heart? And you realize that you're lost without Christ. In a moment, we stand and sing that final closing song. I want you to step out where you are. Come down. Just say, preacher, I need Jesus as my Savior. We'd love to talk with you and point you to Christ. You can leave here today no longer destined for hell. But you can leave here today as a citizen of heaven. You can leave here with your sin forgiven. And Jesus Christ is your Savior. And then for those of you today who say, you know what, preacher, I already have that. Well, let me ask you something, friend, as we close out this study of this chapter. Maybe you're harboring a grudge. Joseph didn't, but maybe you are. You need to grant forgiveness and you need to come and confess that. Maybe your attitude is not right like Joseph's was. You've got a rotten attitude. You need to come and confess that and seek a divine perspective. And maybe you say, you know what, preacher, of all honesty, we're known. I have a cold heart. I find in this passage that Joseph pointed others to the Lord. God did this. God sent me. God, God, God. Are you cold or are you pointing others to the Lord like Joseph did? Father, we love you and praise you. We realize without Jesus we'd be lost, miserable, undone, and hopeless. But because He died, took our place, and lives again, we can have eternal life. I pray today, Father, if there's anybody in this building, anybody listening to the sound of my voice, 
that does not know Jesus as their Savior, this will be the moment they trust Him and get life eternal. Father, I pray for believers who may be holding a grudge, have a rotten attitude, be totally cold. I pray today you'll work in their lives and bring them to confession and getting these things right. And they'll live their life for your honor and your glory. We pray these things in the Savior's name. Amen and amen.